My name's Joshua. I'm the pastor here at, at Ethos uh, Hillsborough Village. So glad you're here. If this is your first time, welcome. Welcome. So glad to see you guys. So glad to see you specifically, though, for real. Um, anyway, good morning. Um, I didn't get here until like 9.10. It's the latest I've ever shown up here. Um, this has been a slow cooker, man, this teaching today. I got no promises for you. We're talking about the mind today, and it was one of those weeks where I felt like there was just like a million different directions you could go. And the tough part about a million different directions is you gotta usually choose one of them, and it took me forever to like choose a few directions today, so bear with me. Who knows what we're in for? Um, if this is your first time here and you're looking for a good sermon, we'll see. <laughs> We've been in a series called To Live as Christ. We're journeying through this letter from an apostle named Paul to a church called Philippi. And I'm not gonna even try to jog your memories, I'm just gonna inform you. On the first week when I preached about this letter, we took note that Paul introduces himself as a servant of Christ, Paul a servant of Christ, to the saints of Christ, so to the brothers and sisters in the faith, and it's in anticipation of the day of Christ. You'll see this throughout the whole letter of Philippians. If you've been here, you've felt it. Paul is so aware that one day his church will stand before Christ, that all of us will stand before perfect and holy Jesus in the physical, and we'll take account in that day. And you can just feel, I mean, how many of y'all, if you've been here for the summer, have felt Paul's like vigor, his passion to prepare the bride of Christ for that day where they will stand before Christ that they'd stand there and be rejoicing, not mourning for how they spent their time and to who they gave their allegiance. So with that being said, today we're actually wrapping up, not the letter of Philippians, we got a few more verses, but in terms of like Paul's pastoral, what's up, dude? Paul's pastoral intent, we're wrapping that part up. Like the things that were burning in Paul's heart for the church of Philippi and for the church at large are coming to a close in Philippians chapter four, verses eight through nine. And I say that because we just need to, to understand that to give it its proper significance. How does Paul wanna conclude his pastoral heart for the church of Philippi and, and perhaps for us, okay? So if we've been doing this every week, if someone would be willing, I've got verses eight and nine on the screen, would someone be willing to read that out loud over us. Let's go, baby. Thank you. Um, that was fun. That felt really organic and sweet. Um, look, I, I watched a bunch of TED Talks and a bunch of YouTube videos this week trying to have an, just an epic intro about the complexity of your mind, but instead I've got a couple of personal stories that hopefully do something to you. The mind's a powerful place, okay? Just go YouTube it. Your mind is powerful. That's what I learned this week. Your mind 
what you think about has so much to do with how you live. And some of you are like, no, duh. But if you're like me, I don't honestly account for my thoughts that much. Is anybody else's brain just like, eh, whatever happens, happens? <laughs> you know, my brain is for chaos. My mouth is the filter, but the brain, anything goes. You know, it's just like, where'd that thought come from? Don't know. Move on, you know? Has anyone else had that? Like, you don't actually, like, account? raise your hand even if you don't mean it. Yeah, like, don't make me feel, look at me, I'm already alone up here. Like, but, like, I don't often, like, think, hey, what do I think about? I just think about, you know? But I think today's conversation is going to be a little, an invitation into introspection. What do you think about? Where do your thoughts often drift? Like, what you think about is pretty powerful. Have you ever had someone, like, walk in to your dorm room or your apartment with Chick-fil-A? I can't do fast food. It gives me arthritis, 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 autoimmune stuff. But some of you love Chick-fil-A, right? Are we past it as a culture? If you love Chick-fil-A, come on. Oh, 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 more fun, more fun. If you've had Chick-fil-A in the last 30 days, I knew it. All you guys are up for making me feel alone, and all of y'all go there all the time. Anyway, someone walks in with Chick-fil-A, and if you start thinking about Chick-fil-A, of course you can smell it when they walk in. It's kind of smelly, that fast food is. But, but if you start thinking about it enough, you can really start tasting your order, that number two, that spicy chicken with ranch, dip it, fries, ketchup, cookies and cream, milkshake, 900 calories, Give them, <laughs> you know? If you walk in with food that I like and I start thinking about it, there is a 110% chance I will be eating that food in the next 72 hours. You know what I mean? Anybody else like that? Like if you see it, I smell it, I want it, I get it. That's how it goes. That's the pattern. That's the power of your mind. Like you don't even think about it, but that's what's happening. You thought about it, you thought about it some more, and then you did something about it. What about insecurity? Let's get real. I know two things about me physically. I've got a big head and I run too loud. I know that because of Hannah Klope in third grade and Josh Anderson in fifth grade. Those are not false names. I hope they're listening. I told, I had a crush on Hannah Klope. She doesn't even know that. I'm in my little row. I turn around to tell Hannah Klope something. I'm probably just trying to spit game as a second grader. She's in third grade, I'm in second. So I go for the older. Anyway, so I'm like, turn around, yo, and she says back, like a third grader, no segue, you have a big head. <laughs> Never forgot it. I took my daughter to the pediatrician a few weeks ago. Her head circumference is in the 80th percentile. Hannah was right. <laughs> it's an insecurity rooted in truth, you know? To this day, I'll bring up my head size to Leah. I'm not being funny. I'm not just story, well, I'm being funny, but it's not just a story. This is real. Leah, does my head look big? No, it doesn't. Thank you, baby. That was the right answer. I know, I know you think it's too big. <laughs> Josh Anderson, on the way to PE in fifth grade, he goes, no segue. Again, there's never segues when you're this young and you're just throwing insults. You just kind of come out with them. Josh goes, you know, you run like this. And he just stomped so loud. To this day, I got my AirPods in, noise canceling. Sometimes I got to turn the noise canceling off just to make sure my pitter pattern at the right noise level. You know, I'm walking by someone with a dog. I swear I will soften up my stance. Like, oh, no, no, nice and gentle. Toes only, toes only. <laughs> hey, good morning. Just running like normal people, you know? <laughs> but it stuck with me. Have you ever had something like that? Like, you can get a thousand compliments, one insecure word, and you're thinking about it. You're 33, preach 32, whoops, 32, preaching about it to 100 people, you know? Anyway, 
The mind really is stunning. Think about this. Whenever you've got like a grudge against someone or a problem with someone and you haven't actually addressed it yet and this is someone you're having conversations with consistently, how much does it filter everything they say for you? You know what I mean? It's like, they'll say something like, I'm having a pretty good day. You're like, oh, uh oh, I'm having a good day. I bet you are. You would be having a pretty good day. You know, you're just like, what, what is that? Why are we upset right now? This is weird. It's 9 a.m., you know? When you, when you think someone's mad at you, how much does it filter how you assess everything they do? You're at Starbucks. They hand you a straw. And internally, you're like, you handed me that straw with a little bit of attitude. I knew you were mad at me. I knew that's what it was. Anybody else get like that self-conscious when you think somebody's upset with you? This is the power of your mind. I told you stories. I hope they hit. Anyway. Here's another question for you. I wonder how the mind of Christ like literally worked while he was on earth. We don't think about Jesus this way enough. You ever like zone out in the middle of class and your brain just goes who knows where? When Jesus like zoned out or when Jesus started thinking about other people, like when you think about other people, where does your mind go? And I just started wondering, where did the mind of this like precious, sweet, empathetic, compassionate Jesus, where did his mind drift off to when he just started thinking about people? And how sweet that must have been. Psalm 139, verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. What were the thoughts of Jesus on this earth? If you think about it, Jesus was under a lot of pressure, a lot of scrutiny, a lot of enemies. And he walked around so tenderhearted, so kind, so impossible to insult. What were the thoughts of Jesus that enabled him to be this way? Surely his mind was a place that was influenced by the ways of God. I, I thought about scripture and how aware scripture is of how powerful your thoughts are. This is 1 Peter 1.13. This is his instruction to help you be prepared for Christ's return. Have minds that are fully alert and sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. All believers are called to prepare their minds for Christ. You are not ready for Christ's return until your mind is ready. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on the things above and not on things on the earth. Mark 12.30, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Romans 12.2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12 is telling you, your life will be transformed as your mind is renewed. They go hand in hand. So let's start with what Paul is telling us to think about, and then let's figure out how to think about it by thinking about it. He says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, praiseworthy. Okay, look, this slide, you don't even gotta read it. It means basically what you think it means. These words are pretty straightforward from Paul. What will help us understand how to define these words is this filter. Would Jesus and scripture agree with those words? 
Like if you call something pure, would Jesus go, me too? If you call something praiseworthy, worthy of your applause, would Jesus say, I'm applauding right beside you? That's the filter. That's what's gonna help us differentiate how these words apply in our life. So the ultimate question, how do we begin thinking these things? Thinking about these words, because if I had to guess, if you had to give your top eight descriptors, what describes the thoughts that you have? These wouldn't be like shot for shot, your top eight. At least they're not mine. So we got some room. Okay. I want to start by talking about something that is not our main thing. It's not the main thrust of our conversation. But if we want to begin thinking like Christ, if we want these words in verse 8 to be descriptors of our, of our thought life, I want to talk about the absence, the removal, things that should not be present if we want our minds to think like Christ. Now, I'm going to soapbox just a touch. Feel free to ignore. Feel free to accept. All right. I want you to think of your mind as a garden, something that is indeed alive and needs to be nurtured and tended to in order to thrive. So in, with the gardening picture, certainly it's important to pull up weeds, things that would choke out life, things that would prevent room for healthy growth. And here's the question I'd ask. What things need to go missing in order for you to think more like Christ? What things around your life need to go missing in order for you to think and process more like Jesus? Because if we're going to think about what is true and honorable and just, we must be aware of what is deplorable, deceitful, destructive, in other words, anti-scripture, anti-Christ, anti-God. It is now effortless to be exposed to evil, things that scripture like explicitly and strongly oppose, things like, let's just name a few, Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, gluttony, anger, jealousy, idolatry, false gods, false ideologies. Everyone has a sermon, not just the preachers. Everyone's got a message for you to hear, receive, and apply to your life. And this exposure, please hear me, does not have a neutral impact on your mind. And I was reminded of the simple, like classic, if there's two dogs, which one wins the fight? The one you feed the most, you know? That one's gonna have more protein, more muscle, wins the nutrient breakdown. It is increasingly more important that you are taking account for what dog is being fed in your life. Are you currently being bombarded with media, with noise, with people, with friends that encourage you to think in the ways of self-indulgence, selfish thinking, impulsivity, greed, jealousy, insecurity, comparison? Like you live in a world surrounded by advertisements, billboards, apps, technologies, people that are encouraging the ways of hell in you. Encouraging against the thoughts and goals and vision of Christ himself that encourage opposite of scripture in you. 
And the best case, if you're someone who stands idly by as you're being influenced by the ways of hell or the ways of culture, is that the potency of your faith is diluted, the clarity in which you hear the Holy Spirit is muddied, and the intimacy you share with the Father is limited. That's your best case. If you are constantly being flooded with false ideologies in sinful ways, the worst case, you abandon your faith. Some might call it deconstruction. Galatians 1.6, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. How'd that happen? Paul goes on to say, I'm telling you right now, if an angel from heaven shows up and preaches the gospel other than what I've said, let him be accursed. That's Paul's take on my truth, your truth. If an angel from heaven comes down, okay? If Gabriel comes down, plays the harp, and then preaches something other than what I preached, curse him. There is one gospel, James 1.6, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. When we give the bulk of our attention to things that have no desire whatsoever to call Jesus Lord, like it feels complicated, but it really ain't that complicated. When we give the most of our attention to people, places, and things that don't call Jesus Lord, that don't long to fulfill his ways, his words, his works, we willingly sacrifice an intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And I wanna hear this, because growing up, I grew up in a, hey, don't do these things type of faith. Just don't do these things and you're good. Anyone else carry that scar of religiosity? Listen, when Jesus says don't do things and then says do things, his promise is this, you lose your life, you gain it. Drink from my well, you'll never thirst again. Abundant life is the promise of this. It's not this yoke of slavery in the name of Jesus. It's this abundant life. If you lose your logic, you lose your ways, and you take on my spirit, you take on my name, you call me Lord, I will give you life, more life than you ever thought possible, more life than the salt water this culture could ever do. I got water that you'll never thirst again. That's the hope of Christ. So don't like get into this like, well, that's not a little judgy. It's not, no, man, we're trying to walk to life in Christ. And we live in a culture that is always promising life and delivering death. That's the deal. It's happening. In Matthew 9, Jesus looks out on the crowd and he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. In 2023, I have compassion on us, me, because we are sheep with a thousand shepherds. On the count of three, everyone say my name. My name's Josh. That's what we're saying. On the count of three. One, two, three. Okay. I know a lot of people said my name. I can't tell you one individual that said my name. I was looking down. I know a lot of you did, but I don't know which one said my name, right? That's a cheesy comparison, but I want you to track this. When we are flooded with voices that are anti-God, how are we supposed to hear the shepherd? How are we supposed to know that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me? And if we're going to talk about thinking about these things, we have to address, we are welcoming, as a culture, we are welcoming hundreds, if not thousands, of false voices, false shepherds, false teachers begging us for our attention. And we're getting so good at hearing hundreds of voices, we're getting really bad at hearing the voice of God. We're letting too much in. If there's too many weeds, stuff can't grow. That's what's happening in our culture. We struggle to hear the voice of the one true shepherd because way too many false shepherds are begging for our attention. You need to know something. You're a commodity. 
Your attention is valuable because your attention might lead to a desire which may lead you to a purchase button. Everyone wants your attention because they got money to be made, power to be gained. This culture is longing for your attention. So is Jesus. So let me get on my soapbox. I wasn't even on it yet, and I'm gonna go quickly. Yeah. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. I wanna talk about phones. We already knew that. We knew that was coming. Let me, let me speed through some of these notes because we don't got time. Billionaires. Can you imagine? Billionaire. How much money do you have? Over a billion. Mm-hmm. Just think about that for a second. That's like a million times a lot. <laughs> you know? Billionaires have invested hundreds of million, millions of dollars studying the human brain for the sole purpose of learning how to get your attention. That's it. Billionaires have spent millions of dollars learning how to get your attention, how to keep your attention, how to track your moods, your desires, so that you will buy their stuff. End of story. That's it. I just, low key, we're kind of victims. And I'm scared to say that word because we got a victim badge culture. It's like, who can be the worst victim? Raise your hand. Like, and it's kind of like awarded almost in a weird way. But real talk, I'm looking at a bunch of victims. We were handed a technology that we did not know what to do with. And people much smarter than us learned how to control how we interacted with that technology. And in that world, we had to ask, what are the motives of the people that put the technology in your hands? Is it human flourishing? Is it your soul's health? Guys, you gotta ask this question. And with that, here's the soapbox. We'll keep it short. We need to begin, uh uh-oh, he stood. We need to begin differentiating between distraction and addiction. Babies in the back are distracting. Do what? Say it again. Um, We need to begin differentiating from distraction and addiction. Babies in the back are distracting. But I hope the babies in the back don't take your attention for this whole sermon. I certainly hope the babies in the back don't destroy your future and your life goals. I wouldn't think they would. Is that fair? That's a distraction. Heroin is an addiction. Heroin will hijack your mind, disrupt every goal you ever had, and every relationship you ever hope to flourish, it will bring death to it. Do we all agree with that? Have you learned about heroin and what it does to the brain and how addictive it is and how almost impossible it is to, to find freedom from addiction? That's addiction. Are you addicted to your phone? I feel like everyone, I'm so addicted to my phone, but we're defining it as distraction. We're saying addiction lightheartedly, but I do think we're using the right term. And I have a question. What if we are, in large part, no judgment, I'm right here, Pixel Pro Golf. That's the name of the app. I love it. I do really good on it. It's a golf game. It's stupid, and I can't get enough of it. I'm not standing up above you on this one. But what if you're addicted to a technology that hijacks your mind, that dictates how you see the world, how you see yourself, how you think and process, and the motive of that technology is anti-God? What happens to a whole generation? It's weird, man. Let's go there. None of us are smart enough to figure this thing out. 
So I don't even know how to conclude this part of the talk. But our phones need more checks and balances. You are giving far too much, if you are anything like me, we are giving too much attention to a thing that has too much power over our minds. Who ever thought that they'd see their grandparents on Facebook? If that doesn't speak to the power of the phone, I don't know what does. I could have swore that my grandpa would always be that, why are you on your little doodad guy? No, he's on Facebook. It's addictive, man. Anyway, I went too hard. I can feel it, so I'm going to keep going. Here's an assignment. Here's an assignment. The next time you're about to get on your phone, get on it just like you always do. If you're a video gamer, YouTuber, TikToker, whatever. But this time, bring a pen and paper with you and spend 30 minutes doing what you always do and then write down the messaging of how you spent your time. Take account. What did I just take in for the last 30 minutes? It's normally like three or four hours a day minimum, but for the last 30 minutes, and assess it. When you're on that screen, what lines up with scripture? What goes directly against scripture? And just answer it honestly, no guilt, no shame, man, we're all in here doing it, so we're good. Not only the content, but think about what it does with how you spend your time. Were you sitting still? Were you lethargic? Were you numb? Were you active? Were you engaged? Were you social? Were you aware of the Holy Spirit, of yourself, of those around you? Were you checked out, unaware, distant from reality? Because there is a chance that we are all freely welcoming in a toxic presence into our life on a daily basis, and there's consequence. The soapbox is over. Because this teaching is far more about addition than it is removal, okay? Are we good still? Hey, look, I tangent it. Are we, are we good? Okay, lean in, because now, now it's like, think about a bunch of good stuff. So come on, let's do it. <laughs> let's get happy. Um, all right, let's talk about presence. Have you ever been around someone that just like thinks differently in a really good way? Like they just walk around lighter. They respond to situations differently. They just process everything different. I had a friend like this, his name's Cyrus. Well, he's still my friend. Had and have and will have. This guy, just at every turn, steadfast, calm, loving, kind. One of those guys that always had time for you, never in a hurry. And you're like, how are you doing this? How are you not in a hurry? I'm in a hurry and I ain't got nothing to do. And you got stuff to do, so what's happening? You know, treats people well. When someone sins against him, he lovingly confronts them and just checks on their heart. You're like, dude, what the, you know? People like that, if you get to know them, if you stay curious, what makes you like that? What you'll find is the way that they think, the people they spend time with, the things that they're entertained by are just on a different level. And honestly, what you will often find is what makes them different than you is pretty simple. Not easy, but not that, it's not like uniquely them. They are just orienting their lives around different things and it's making a difference in their life. And so I wanna talk about what those things are, okay? All right, so three things. 
If we wanna begin thinking about these things, I've got three steps. We gotta start thinking about them, we gotta start being around them, and we gotta start practicing them. This is all very simple. Okay, think these things. Psalm 1, one through three. It says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, you see the tree up there? That yields its fruit in its season, and its, leaves, and its leaf does not wither, In all that he does, he prospers. What is the source of power in Psalm 1? Someone that meditates on the word of God day and night. That's the power. You may have heard this if you grew up in like Sunday school. But this word meditate, to meditate on the word of God, who knows the example? You remember the cow? The cow example? The cod chewing up the grass over and over? Oh, okay, well shoot. Anyway, when cows chew grass, uh, they tend to digest it over seven times. They chew it up, chew it up, swallow it, regurgitate it, eh. chew it up, chew it up, do that seven times over to get every bit of nutrient and to properly digest the grass. Did you guys know this? Oh man, this is what cows do apparently. I learned this a long time ago. When scripture says to meditate, that's the picture. Chew on scripture over and over and over again. Don't assume that you understood it after one read, two reads. Don't assume that you understand it after reciting it three times, four times. Keep going over it. There's something so holy and anointed about the word. The more that you let scripture live in your mind, the more deep and rich and real it becomes to your life. Scripture is one of the all-time most potent mind renewers. It is the word of God. I feel like an idiot. I haven't told y'all enough. The Bible is the word of God. I believe that the Holy Spirit of creator of all things God breathed out this scripture. His ways are in this scripture. And if you wanna hear the voice of God, you just gotta read this on repeat. There's one guarantee you will definitely hear the voice of God. There it is. Be immersed in scripture. Some ideas here. Read a psalm every day and choose one verse to memorize and recite it over and over and over again throughout the day. In your bathroom breaks, don't pull out the phone, pull out a pocket Bible or pull out a notepad that you wrote that scripture on. And when you normally be playing pixel pro golf like Joshua, instead, recite a scripture. Maybe go through a gospel, read a story between Jesus and someone else. And don't move on to a new story until you've tried to obey the implications of that story in your real life. And go, God, I'm gonna read through Luke until I've obeyed every story I see you in. Scripture is a great place to combat the lies and the false narratives that you're carrying with you. This is the generation of trauma. We know our wounding, we know when we're hurting, we know the lies that we're tempted to believe. We're growing in our self-awareness, that's a good thing, but it's not a good thing if we just sit in the awareness of it. We have to combat it, we have to fight it. And so here's what I'd encourage. If you're dealing with anger, you're an impulsive, angry person, find a scripture that addresses anger, and whenever you're tempted to be angry, pray that scripture over and over and over again. Watch what happens to your anger over time, I'm serious. 
Pray the scripture out loud. Let yourself hear yourself quoting the scripture and watch what it does to your spirit. If we want renewed minds and to think the way Christ thinks, we must remember Christ wrote scripture. Imagine what he was thinking. He had the whole Bible on lock before it was even written. Flex, anyway. Here's another way to think about, think like God thinks. Ask God to help you think like God thinks. You wanna know a prayer that God will answer? God help me think like you. Your ways are higher than my ways. You don't see the world like I see the world. We're these little finite beings where culture tells us this is the way the world is and we're like, okay, this is the way the world is. We so badly need a God that sees outside all thousands of cultures that currently exist right now and they have always existed, that rises above those things and says, no, this is why you're on earth. This is why creation's here. This is how it all points to Jesus. God, help me to think like you think. James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I had a friend dedicated his whole year to asking God for wisdom, and he said, I've never grown this much. And I can testify, having discipled him for five years, I saw a serious leap in one year. And I found out later, after the fact, he was asking for wisdom the whole year. I was like, whoa, that makes sense, because you've grown. If we want to learn to think like God, let's humble ourselves before God. I want to think like you. I want to think like me. That's all I ever do. All right. Number two, think about these things. Be around these things. Your mind is, yeah, we're good. Be around these things. Your mind is built to adapt. It's built to adapt. If you've read Atomic Habits or gotten really geeked up about disciplines and being a new you, um, you know this. If you set the environment, you will adapt. In other words, if you surround yourselves with friends that love Kenny Chesney and you go to Kenny Chesney concerts and you listen to Kenny Chesney, your heart will grow a soft spot for Kenny Chesney, no matter how unlikely you think that may be. Some people love country, I do not. The people, places, and things that you surround yourself with have a lot to do with how you think. I mean, this is easy stuff here, so I don't want to belabor the point, but you know some of the phrases. You become what you behold. You're the sum of your five closest friends. If nine, nine of your friends are doing drugs, guess what you're doing? Drugs. You know, you've heard all the talks. All that's really saying is your environment matters. You're going to adapt. You can have as many clothes on as you want, but if you live in a freezer, you will get cold at some point. The environment wins, Okay. I talked a lot about environment in a series called My House, Your Home. It was back in February. You can go find that. So I want to break down people, places, and things really quickly because that's our environment. It is never a bad time to ask, how are my closest friends helping me walk with Christ? Helping me. Not not hurting me. Proactively helping me walk in the abundant life of Christ. You know, back in the day when you called yourself Christian, you knew you were risking your life. It wasn't a game to say that. We kind of missed that. Being a Christian, saying Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life, that's serious business. The stakes are high here with fear and trembling. Are your friends helping you walk with Jesus? Are they helping you learn more about Scripture? 
Are they encouraging humility and kindness in you? Are they encouraging surrender to Jesus in you? When's the last time when your friends challenge you to seek and save the lost? That's a fair question, man. Do they encourage you to draw near to the presence of God? When's the last time your friends talked about how you're growing in your ability to sit in God's presence for a long amount of time, letting his peace that surpasses understanding wash over you? This should be a part of friendship culture, man. We're really underestimating this. Do they challenge you in your sin? Do they see your immaturity and call you higher? Is it an iron sharpens iron kind of deal? Maybe the better question is, are you doing any of this? Friendship 101 is, you be the friend you wanna have. Last thing we need is a bunch of people pointing fingers. I wish I had friends, I wish I had friends. I wish you were the friend, man. We need to be the, I keep saying man, woman. Be the friend. Man is gender inclusive. Anyway. Think about Jesus for a second. What does he do when he starts his ministry? He calls 12 people very close to him that all agree Jesus is Lord. Our lives belong to him. They travel, they eat, they sleep, they minister, they pray, they endure, they serve together side by side. Man, Christian community has so much untapped potential, y'all. If you are a follower of Jesus, surrender to Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God is in you, and you have friends that say the same thing, and that is true of them, revival is waiting for you in your friend group. I am telling you, dude, if you will realize the living God is in your chest and he will go wherever he is welcomed, you and your squad do not gotta wait for Wednesday at seven to have house church. You don't gotta be on an app. You don't gotta sign up for nothing. A prayer ministry is waiting to break out in your friend group. Revival's waiting. I need more people come up to me and asking me, hey, can we get a horse shop out there on Sunday morning? We got some people we gotta dump. People have given their life to Christ. My friend who didn't believe God was real last week just gave his life to Jesus. That is untapped potential for you. This also brings to mind the gift of a discipleship relationship. Are you in a relationship where you're pouring your life out into someone else who's a little bit younger than you in the faith, spiritually speaking? Is there someone you're helping become like Christ? Do you have someone you look to that helps you walk and talk and act like Jesus? Reminder, this is abundant life stuff. I'm not trying to give you a yoke of to-dos. This will only bring you life. All right, let's talk about places. I know. Where are you spending your time? Literally, are the places that you're spending your time, at least somewhat, helping you be like Christ? Let me give a plug here. When you came in, you had these blue squares on your house, on your, on your house church, on your chair. Stupid QR code. Man, I'm tired of QR codes. Do you guys use them? I hope you do, because look at us. We printed a lot of them. <laughs> we just launched house churches. They start next week. House church this year is so focused on welcoming the presence of God. If you need a place... We're broken people, all of us are messing it up, but we're trying our best. But if you need a place that is warm and welcoming to the holy presence of God and you don't know where to turn, sign up for a house church. But more than you're coming for a social hour or to make friends, I hope all that happens, you're coming for the presence of God. 
How often are you in a place that is warm and welcoming to the presence of the Lord? What about your bedroom? Is that a place that's reserved for your anxiety, your addiction, your temptation, your fears? Or is that a place that you have declared, this is a place the presence of God is welcome to reign? This is a place, of all the places in the world, this is the place I'm the most confident I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God. You know your bedroom can be that? Your bedroom can be a place where the best worship services go down. I'm telling you. How often are you just getting outside? I talked to some college leaders. What are some of the things they struggle with the most? Just leaving their dorm. Doing a lot more dorm checks lately. It sounds so weird, but the competency of just getting outside is getting lost, y'all. Hey, y'all, get outside. A lot of science behind the sun. It helps. Get out there. Take a friend or two. Just walk in the grass barefoot. My Belmont students, y'all still doing that? When I was at Belmont 10 years ago, we were always barefoot. We called it hipster. That word's been ruined now, but we stomping grounds. All right. Let's talk about the things in your life. What are the things that have your attention from podcasts, music, social media, streaming services, movies, sports, etc.? What things are entertaining you in your downtime? And how can those outlets begin to be spaces that are influencing you toward Christ? If you're not quite ready to go on a full dopamine fast and throw your phone in the trash can for 60 days, then at the very least, are the podcasts you're listening to helping you think like Christ? Is the music you're listening to helping you think like Christ? Like, when did we let it happen where Christian music is only corny? You're gonna tell me there's not even a little bit of good in that? Bringing glory and honor to the name of Jesus? I know, the culture, contemporary Christian, the business of it, I know there's some toxic stuff. We're humans, we're toxic. But man, maybe your ears could use a little bit of adoration and praise toward the most high, the only one that deserves it. Are you listening to podcasts that are pushing you to Christ? Are you watching series on Netflix that are reminding you of the ways of Jesus? If Jesus sat down and turned on Netflix for you, would you want him to play the suggested show? I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but I mean, is that crazy or is that just the exact bar that we should have set as children of God? I don't know, maybe I'm a lunatic, but if I don't want Jesus watching it, what does that mean for me? Newsflash, I belong to Jesus. (laughs) I don't know, man. And I'm nervous as I'm thinking about the office and it's skirting a fine line. I mean, it is, y'all. It really is. I start thinking, I'm like, I don't like those jokes sometimes, man. Oh, no. Don't do it to me, Lord. Please laugh. (laughs) Oh, Guys, I'm serious. All of us have a future version of ourselves that is better, that is closer to Jesus, that is more disciplined, that is less toxic. You don't begin to be the future you until you start thinking like the future you. You gotta think that way. You gotta act the way you want future you to be. So many of you are gonna become mothers and fathers. Your choices today, I promise you, are impacting your future children. This stuff matters. I'm tangent. I told you. Okay, it's 10.15. We're hustling. Last, practice these things. If we're gonna talk about the mind, action is necessary It has to be a part of the dialogue. The neuroplasticity element of your mind, you create new pathways in repeated actions. The more you do things, the more you'll think the way and the way that you're doing the thing, the way you'll be that person. If you do the things Jesus does, you'll begin to think like Christ. 
There's not an order to this. It's that Luke 5 moment that we studied in my house church this week. Simon goes, Lord, I've been fishing all night. I don't need to cast my net on the other side like you just told me to. I'm a professional fisherman. You're a professional carpenter. You do you, I'll do me. Peter says, but because you said so, I'll do it. He does it. They catch a lot of fish, right? That's action. Jesus, I don't feel like it, but I trust that you know the way to life, so I'm doing what you say. I don't like it, don't want to do it. This is not how I wanted to spend my time. I wanted to be in bed on my phone. But because you say so. In Romans 12, when it talks about renewing the mind, it says first that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Then it talks about renewing the mind. In Mark 12, where it says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, it says heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's your body. It's physical. That's action-oriented. Philippians 4.9, Paul wraps up, think about these things with practice these things. Do them. Do them. You're not doing them until you're doing them. That's how you know if you're doing them, if you're doing them, okay? Matthew 7, there's two groups of people, the wise man and the foolish man. The only thing that separates wisdom from foolishness, one of them does what Jesus says, not just hears what Jesus says. Both of them hear Jesus. Only one of them does it. Okay. Nothing replaces action. And you live in a culture that is tempting you to stare at a screen in a lethargic lifestyle. You don't even got to go to a store to buy the clothes anymore. You just got to sit there and press a button. You were made to move, made to do. I mean, think about the metaphor for the church, the body of Christ, the hands, the feet, the action of Jesus is the church. If we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words? That is from the early 2000s. <laughs> if you want to think like Jesus, do the things Jesus has done. So if you're a college student, maybe go outside more. Maybe work on some daily rhythms like prayer, talking with God, committing to scripture. Maybe invest in community at this church and at your school. Maybe start practicing more eye contact when you're having conversations with people. Ask more questions. Listen more attentively. Begin churning up more conversations about God. Serve your local community. If you're a parent, maybe start thinking about how the ways of Jesus apply to how you parent your children. The questions you ask your sons and daughters. The things you talk about around dinner. This conversation of think about these things is so crucial, and I really do appreciate you putting up with my ADD TikTok feed of a sermon where I was just going everywhere. But you know it's complex, man. What we're thinking about is really important. And for you to understand, there are active forces, spiritual forces, Ephesians 6, our battle's not against flesh and blood. There's spiritual realities at war for your soul and against worldly forces that simply want to hijack your mind's attention. Scripture calls us give our minds to Christ. And so over communion, I want to ask two questions. Oh, I forgot about my little action thing. Action. How would you describe your thought life on a day-to-day -day basis? This may be the first time you're going to attempt to do this, and good luck to you. Second question, what ideas come to mind when you try to think about these things in Philippians 4, 8 through 9? So what I'm asking there is, as I've just kind of talked about several different facets of what shapes how you think, 
What are some ideas that might help shape your mind? What are some ideas that you can begin implementing, whether it's in the removal of some things or adding some things in, that can help you begin thinking and living like Christ? For at the end of that, you're going to begin to taste and see some abundant life, all right? And so we're going to do communion on our own. And so there's communion at the inside of the every other row. If you guys want to go ahead and pass that down, you can read our little description of why we do communion on the screen if you've got the eyes for it. But you've got five to seven minutes to pull out a phone, a pen and paper, and I want you just to ask God, is there anything you're trying to teach me right now? If my thoughts are important, if how my mind works is important, what are you wanting me to hear in scripture right now? What from the sermon is trying to come in and change the way you process your life and how you spend your time? So let's think about these things. Let's give our minds to Christ, and I'll come back up in five to six minutes.